So I, I got an email on March 22nd, and it actually came from Jerry. It was a picture of us that we took at the Fontainebleau Hotel. It was a picture with me and Becky, and then one with Jerry. He sent the email saying, Becky wanted me to send this to you. Immediately, I was like, who? And she's like, oh, Jerry Falwell. She, she recognized the name. She's like, isn't that like the famous uh, pastor or preacher? Wait a minute, hold on. This cannot be the same people that I'm thinking about right now. Um, yeah, well, it was. Uh, we're here talking with Billy Corbin. He is the director of God Forbid. It came out on Hulu on November 1st. Good morning, Billy. Good morning. So um, a couple of questions for you to kind of get started. For people who aren't familiar with you, uh, tell us a little bit about your background, some of the other work that you've done. Sure. I'm a documentary filmmaker based out of uh, Miami Beach. Uh, we've produced such documentaries over the last 20 years as uh, Cocaine Cowboys. The ESPN 30 for 30s, the, the U, the U Part 2, uh, and Broke, as well as uh, Screwball on uh, uh, Netflix mm -hmm. about the uh, steroid scandal involving Alex Rodriguez and uh, Cocaine Cowboys, the Kings of Miami, also streaming on Netflix. So why this story? Well, for starters, uh, it has a Miami connection, has a great Many stories uh, always seem to have a Florida connection. Uh, we say the uh, Florida of today is the uh, the America of tomorrow. So, uh, so sorry, everybody, about that. But, oh. uh, <laughs> that in, <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> appears true. There's these I was going to say a lot of a lot of our crazy story. stories come out of Florida for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Florida man often leads them off those headlines. Exactly. And, um, yeah, and a great many of those stories have what what we would call perhaps a butterfly effect where, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings in, uh, in Miami, um, or perhaps there's a unique uh, relationship uh, dynamic as is uh, this case. And it seems to change uh, the course of history uh, uh, in, in many ways. And so we were intrigued uh, by that possibility. So of course we live in the, in the city um, where the much of your story takes place, Lynchburg, Virginia, and um, so many of us know uh, a lot of behind-the-scenes facts about liberty and, uh, and, and all of this. And, and many of us are watching the documentary because we want to know if it's true. We want to know mm -hmm. what's true and what's not true. You've got some irrefutable evidence, certainly, uh, in this film as far as the relationship between Giancarlo and, and Becky Falwell, don't you? Yeah, and I mean, we, we kind of put Giancarlo through the ringer in addition to days and days of interviews. Uh, we spent a great many months uh, obtaining from him corroboration, copious amounts of text messages, emails, photographs, and even some uh, video evidence uh, being seen for the first time excerpted in the documentary. I don't want to spoil it, but it was, it was for me, some of the most compelling evidence uh, of, of really the totality of what he was saying, uh, both the, the length of time that the relationship took place, allegedly over, over seven years, and, and more, more significantly, the, and, and the question everybody has is, what was Jerry Falwell Jr.'s uh, in, involvement in this dynamic? Right. Well, uh, like I say, I think Marco and I both agree there was some irrefutable evidence about that relationship mm -hmm. and the inappropriateness of that relationship right uh we did have some callers call in earlier that thought Giancarlo's got off a little easy 
um, kind of portrays himself as the little lost lamb being led astray. Uh, I don't know that that's completely accurate. <laughs> no, I don't think that's completely accurate either. I don't. I think Giancarlo would disagree as well. You know, he felt going into this uh, relationship that it was um, he was twenty years old, but he was a consenting adult. He thought he knew what he was getting himself into. I think he maybe perhaps uh, got in a little bit over his head, but his sister had an interesting um, yes. comparison. Yeah. She um, didn't hold back. She, she, no, not at all. And, and in fact, there's something that, that didn't make the final cut of the doc is a lot of the material, unfortunately, didn't because of the, you know, the, the brief running time that we had. Some of, sometimes you have a documentary at six to ten hours. We had you know, less, than, less than two. But she compared the situation to that of Monica Lewinsky, which I found very compelling because here again you have a consenting adult, but a, a real disparity in terms of the power dynamic and a situation where, you know, once you come forward, you have a powerful couple in a position really to destroy your reputation and to crush you. And, and in that case, as in this case, a job that they had um, in their young life for only one year, they are forever branded as. In, mm -hmm. in Monica Lewinsky's case, the intern, and in Giancarlo's case, we all know him as the pool boy. Right, is, forevermore, right. That's the, right. the pool boy. Yeah. That's right. Uh, in this story. I, I, do, I do know what you're saying, I, I, and I do agree. At, at 20, um, and as he pointed out at one point, that he was just a heavily hormone-driven 20-year-old, yeah. and I think there's a lot of, of men, he didn't put it that way, but uh, I think there are a lot of young men who would definitely you know, yeah. fall in line for that. But seven years is a long time to keep this low. And even if you're not a Christian, uh, this behavior is questionable, to say the least. Well, coming, coming from Miami, it's kind of a day that ends in why. Um, and I don't, I don't believe that I would have made the same decisions that Giancarlo uh, made under these circumstances. In fact, his sister, quite clearly in the documentary, calls him <laughs> foolish repeatedly. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, she does. And, and I, I think he would agree now. Um, but I, you know, he, he also got drawn into this uh, and then wound up uh, as business partners with the Falwells in a, in a multi-million dollar. Uh, piece of uh, commercial property in uh, in South Beach, and so he was very much drawn into a world of power and privilege, and he refers to it as intoxicating. He was oh, honest sure it was. that he thought yeah. Yeah, there was an opportunity for him here to rub shoulders with the most powerful people in the world in the Falwell's inner circle. All right, let's take a let's take a break there, and let's play a little bit about the the Trump theme that you inserted here. Let's September 2012, Becky gives me a call saying, hey, do you want to meet Donald Trump? Because at the time, he wasn't who he is today. He wasn't running for president. He was just a star and apprentice. They knew that I liked Donald Trump, that I read his book, The Art of the Deal. My brother loved business and thought Donald Trump was great. And so he was like, yeah, absolutely. They were bringing him into a world that he couldn't even imagine. Real estate, politics, my future, everything is here. So um, he was very much had his head turned by the Trump factor. It's safe to say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Gian Giancarlo was raised as a, you know, a, a Republican conservative kid. He went to Catholic school uh, down here in Miami by very conservative uh, parents. Um, he was an admirer of Donald Trump at the time. He had read uh, The Art of the Deal. He was excited to meet uh, Donald Trump at that time in 2012 and get his book uh, autographed. So this was very much a part of, of what was so seductive for him about about. Uh, 
about this world. And an interesting thing John Crowley told me is when he came to Liberty University, which he called one of the most beautiful campuses he'd ever seen uh, in his life, um, he started to feel for the people in that in that campus community um, because there seemed to be a real disconnect between students, faculty, and alumni, and let's say the you know <laughs> the leadership at the time under Jerry Falwell, just in terms of of the purity of. Uh, you know, the, the sanctity of, of the Gospels, and I think the mission of the institution. So let's talk about that for a minute. So you say he had, uh, the, and he did call the campus beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, and he, and, but you're saying he felt for the, the, the people of the university, and yet the second part of your documentary really felt like a hit piece on Liberty University, the people who go there, uh, the Christians in this town, it really felt like it went to a different place. Uh, he talked about how there weren't many uh, people of color there, which I've been to many, many convocations there. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that that's accurate at all. Um, why, why go in that direction? Well, I think that's the direction that the story uh, took us in. And first, I think it's important to remember that, that this is not a documentary about Christians or Christianity, it's a documentary about people who exploit Christians and Christianity for power and profit, which I think uh, Jerry Jr. at this point has been pretty candid about the fact that he was not uh, as religious as his father or his his brother who took over the Thomas Road Baptist Church. And so I think the idea that that the school began to, to uh, wind up in Jerry Jr.'s mold rather than Jerry Sr.'s mold was, a, was, was accurate. Um, both in the, the way in which he was invested in the capital uh, campaigns and improvements uh, of the property uh, to, to build that beautiful campus, but also in the way that I think he was trying to uh, impose certain morals and beliefs on the, the student body that perhaps went above and beyond uh, you know, what the mission of the institution was. Well, I, I will say that people who live here and who knew Jerry Sr., uh, n- knew that Jerry Jr. was nothing like no Jerry Sr. Nowhere near. Nobody was fooled into thinking that Jerry Jr. was going to be uh, a, a carbon copy of his father. W- we all knew that. But I did feel like that part of your documentary went after Jerry Falwell Sr., which I didn't think was fair. Well, I think it told a pretty accurate a history of the initial intentions behind um, opening schools that would eff- effectively resegregate the educational system after Brown versus the Board of Education. I think it accurately represented the call it the, the cynicism behind the move into politics and the demagoguery of abortion. Um, when you when you we interviewed Randall Ballmer, evangelical pastor and religious historian, who talks about how. For five or six years after Roe versus Wade, while the Catholic community was extremely vocal uh, about it, there was serious dissension uh, amongst the evangelical uh, Christian community, um, many of whom believed, in, consistent with, with conservative small government values, that this decision should not involve uh, the government. And it wasn't until a series of market testing through various culture wars, of which Senior became very famous for, you know, the people versus Larry Flint, yep. you know, yeah, his, his crusade against pornography, against divorce, against uh, feminism, 
against the uh, the gay and lesbian uh, community. Um, none of those things really really stuck, uh, along with the, the the segregation message. So ultimately. Um, it was determined by a group of conservative activists and uh, Jerry Falwell Sr. that abortion would become the issue that could galvanize voters. And to their credit, they were absolutely uh, correct. They were able to defeat a Sunday school you know, Baptist teacher, uh, uh, an incumbent president, Jimmy Carter, and replace him with a divorced uh, B-movie actor uh, in Ronald Reagan, whose, uh, whose campaign slogan, of course, was Let's Make America Great Again. Interesting. When we talk so, about, be- I'm, I'm taking you're not a small government guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. Oh, I'm I, I'm I'm very much a small government guy when it when it when it comes to uh, decisions and personal liberty and and bodily autonomy of of women and men alike. Hmm. Okay. So we talk about B movie actors. Let's talk about Tom Arnold. I uh, I think you did <laughs> I think you did great on the documentary. But when you when when I saw him, you just you just lost all credibility. That was that was. That was digging in yeah, pretty why deep. Why Tom Arnold? Oh man, that guy. Did he have? Yeah, wh- well, I think that's a fair question. Yeah, <laughs> I, honestly, I do. Uh, but you know what? What was absurd about this story? And I think you know the story has a lot of absurd uh, elements. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and not the least of which is that no one's looking to kink shame the Falwells. I think they seem like a very fun people you know and we encourage people to come down to Miami this is our this is our economy come down live your best life so you can do so you can well certainly uh that that lifestyle fits Miami better than it does Lynchburg I can tell you that right now a lot of documentaries on people if you do that yeah (laughs) yeah well you know like listen come down you know have safe sex with consenting adults and you know party I mean that's you know and what happens in Miami stays in Miami in this case it it didn't but Tom Arnold inserted himself into this story, which was part of the absurdity I felt of it. You know, uh, well, and I think we, we because get in, he hates we get Trump. Into that. Yeah. he hates Trump. He, you know, he hates Christians. He, I mean, uh, so my question was how how did the sex scandal tie into January sixth? Well, I think you had a, a, a series of, of things. First, it starts with Jerry Falwell Jr. being the first evangelical leader or the leader from the evangelical world, to endorse Donald Trump, who is a twice-divorced playboy from New York City of, of all places. Okay, wait, um, you're, calling out, you're calling out playboy, twice-divorced, but you just said, come to Miami and have sex. So what's wait, good, wait, wait, what's no, good I, and I, what's I, bad? I, I'm confused. I'm not, I think I'm he's not saying there's a contradiction Yeah, here. but still, yeah. come on. What, what I'm saying is that that would be an unusual thing, one would think, particularly, uh, I mean, for an evangelical endorsement, particularly in a primary with Ted Cruz, who yeah. is evangelical, gotcha. whose father is a pastor, who believed that he was going to get Jerry Falwell. Uh, who visited Liberty back. University several times as, as well. Yeah. Um, he, he and, also, and in fact, yeah, you're right. He announced his presidential campaign yeah. at convocation at Liberty University. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I think, <laughs> I don't know what people on the left or the right would have said if Barack Obama showed up to the 2008 Democratic National Convention Who? with five children, <laughs> from, five, well, with five children from three different women, yeah. like Donald Trump did. And so I, I think that it was a surprising endorsement. And when you start to dig around in in the events that led up to that endorsement, it bizarrely involves this throupling that happened down here with the one-time pool boy uh, in Miami. And so you can really draw a straight line from that endorsement to the outcome 
of the Trump administration. We, we've got to go to break. Um, we appreciate so much you joining us this morning, yes, Billy. Yes, absolutely. Um, and and I, I do appreciate the work that you did on this. Um, thank you again for coming on the show yeah. and, and sharing your thoughts and some behind the scenes of the documentary, God Forbid. It's on Hulu now. Billy Corbin joining us this morning on The Morning Jam. Thank you so much. Thanks, Billy. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Good job. So I think the feeling that I got from this is that the way Trump got the endorsement Mm -hmm. was they dug up the dirt. They discovered the story. Yeah. And that's how it got the endorsement. That was the feeling I had. Yeah. Trump and all his divorces. You know what? I'd like to have a president with 20 divorces and 30 children if they can do what Trump did to get the country back on track again. To me, that doesn't matter. I want want them to do the job. Yeah, morals is important. And past history is important. Respect for women and family and and that We'll talk about it more. If you've got something to say, give us a call. 866-916-3776. The definition of the word jam. To pack something tightly. A machine seizing or becoming stuck. A sweet preserve made from fruit. A common sense radio talk show.